Today's scripture is from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God shall give him life to those who commit sins and do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Somewhat ends abruptly there, doesn't it, in this letter? We're on our final sermon in this series through 1 John, and it ends not with, I bid you peace, or I love you all, or I'm so glad you took the time to read this, or I can't wait to see you, or blessings upon you, sincerely, just, little children, keep yourself from idols. Boom. If you were here last week, it's somewhat reminiscent to the story I told at the beginning of the sermon where all of a sudden it ended and you're not sure how it ended. We'll come back to that. But he says, little children, beware of idols. So what is an idol? Maybe in your mind when you begin to think of an idol, you begin to think of a trinket or you think of uh, someplace far away from Australia where people have rooms that they set up, that they put little things in, that they bring flowers and incense and those kind of things to and they bow down before it or pray in front of it. Or maybe you think of, of times past where there's a big volcano that, that is blowing up and they need to appease that volcano and there's some god that they need to appease that's down in the bottom of the volcano and they find some pure, chaste woman and throw her in. Or maybe you think to yourself, Australian Idol or American Idol and singers or movie stars. Politi no, nobody thinks of a politician as somebody to... Emulate. But what is an idol? Martin Luther, the theologian, said this. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. Rebecca Pippert said this about idols. Whatever controls you is your Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. 
We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord's of our lives. And just to be sure we understand that all of us rest in this place, that it's not those that are out there, but it is me standing here before you. John Calvin reminds us this, that man's mind is like a store of idolatry and superstition. So much so that if a man believes in his own mind, it will certainly forsake God and forge some idol of its own brain. He's saying that our lives, our hearts, our minds are idol-making factories. That we can't help but put something else in front of God. Why is that? Well, I think there's three things that we see that John, that John is actually dealing with before he ever gets to that last statement. We look at idols because we need to see something. We need it to be tangible. And in being tangible, we're wanting that idol to provide something for us. The first thing that we're wanting it to provide for us is to meet our desires. We want an idol to meet our desires. So we put something in front of us to say, this is what I want, this is what I desire, would you please meet it? The second thing that we often rely on idols for is security. We think, if I have this, if this is the thing that I get, then I want security. If we think about the history of idols, we recognize that idols were for, um, you pray to an idol so that your crops come in. Are you sacrificed to an idol so that you get prosperity? We do the same thing. This world is crazy and fearful. And so we look for things that we can put our hope and our trust in in order to give us some sense of security. If I have that right job, if I maintain my health. So the first thing is our desires. The second thing is security. And the third thing is power or knowledge. In the world that we live in now, knowledge is power. And there's a sense that, that here, that's important. And that one maybe is key to unlock what precedes this final statement of dear children. Do not give yourself over to idols. Beware of idols. And the reason why is that the folks that John is addressing thought they had secret knowledge. <laughs> thought that they believed that they had it all figured out how to get to God and relate to God. And that nobody else had figured it out. And so that they had to do exactly the way that they were doing it in order to get there. That if you went to the right or you went to the left of the way that they've prescribed, then you certainly don't have the secret knowledge. And if you don't have the secret knowledge, then you don't have power. And if you don't have power, you don't have security. And if you don't have security, you'll never have the desires of your heart. And so John says, don't have idols. But he wants you to see that those desires that you have, that security that you long for, that knowledge that you want to possess in order to be powerful is found only in abiding in God. Which has been everything that he's been talking about through this whole book. That we abide in God. That we love God and we love others. So jump up there to the very first part of that. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
There's a little bit of security there that he's talking about. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. See, what God is saying is, if you focus on me, if you move in a love towards me as I pursue you, the desires of your heart will be met. We need to be careful here. (laughs) Because you could be hearing, okay, so if I do all the things that God asks me, then God will give me everything I ask for. That if I, if I meet God's standard in the right way, then God will meet my standard in my way. That's not what he's saying here. Because what John recognizes is that as we move into an abiding, living, breathing, life-giving presence with God, the desires of my heart change. And so those things that I begin to cry out for, those things that I begin to desire, are not things that I normally in my fleshiness would think about. They are actually the things that God desires. So God is already preparing to give us those things. Why? Because before the foundation of the world, that's what he wanted to give us. And what's happened is we've forsaken God and who he is for idols. Acceptance, power, control. Thinking to ourselves that they will give us the desires of our heart. And we strive for those things and what we begin to recognize is that they fall short. That they do not bring us to a place of fulfillment. Because what we're made for, what we've been designed for, is to have whole truth relationship with God with ourselves, with all others, and with the very place that he's put us in. That his longing and desire for us is that we manifest and show forth his love. That's what John's been talking about over and over again. Love God and love others. It's how Jesus summed it all up. Love God and love others. And if our desires transition from everything that I need and everything that I want and what will make me whole to what do I need to look like to love God and to love others, what ends up happening is our life becomes more fulfilled and the desires of our hearts change so that we can't help to celebrate those who are doing better than us. Because we recognize that God is merciful in all places, at all times. So our desires change when we forsake idols and we focus on God. And so everything that we request, we're given. Why? Because we are voicing and praying for the things that God wants in our lives. But that's not always the case. (laughs) And that's why he says, I want to talk about not just your desires, but your protection." Look there again. He says, If any one of his brothers is committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, and he will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. 
We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects God, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. See, there's security here. All right. Just as an aside, sin that leads to death, sin that doesn't lead to death, what is going on there? (laughs) Sin that leads to death is the sin of unbelief. It's a place where you don't see God as who God is. Why is that? Because God is the author and perfecter of life. And so if I don't see God as the author and perfecter of life, if my heart does not sing with the song of God who is the author and perfecter of life, then it is hard for me to live. Nay, impossible. Yes, I live, I breathe, I move, but I do not live, breathe, and move with my being rested in the author and perfecter of life. Christ. Through God. And so when he says there's this sin that leads to death, it is that sin of unbelief that we don't recognize who is the author and perfecter of life. Then he says all other sins, they don't lead to death. Again, there is a physical death that can come from sin. There are things that we can make a decision to do that will entrap us and ensnare us that can bring us to the point of death. So again, he's not talking here about physical death. He's speaking about a separation from the author and perfecter of life. Check this. This should be good news for those of us who have been walking with Christ and those of us who are just trying to figure out what is this. The promise of God is this. Life, 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 life. That there is only one thing. Only one thing that can separate you. And that's if you don't hear and believe me. Not me, but God. That's the only thing. Everything else, everything else can't separate you from me. Why? Because I've overcome it. Because I've conquered it. Because I have brought life into it. I've taken darkness and made it light. I've taken death and put it to death so that life is the only thing that remains. How amazing is that? So if you're walking in your life right now as someone who is like, yes, I believe Jesus, and you keep beating yourself up about sins that are in your life, you are missing the point. It is conquered and done away with. This is what Tim Keller says. When people say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, they mean that they have failed an idol whose approval is more important than God's. That idol is themselves. That they can be perfect. Once we get it out of our minds that we could ever be perfect... I mean, I look in the mirror every day and I recognize that's just not a possibility. My hair is gone. Perfection for me is a beautiful head of hair. Perhaps even a mullet. (laughs) I used to have one. It was beautiful. I loved it. Put it in a ponytail. See, but we set this false idol. Those of us who are righteous. Those of us who follow Jesus. 
and think, oh, but we're supposed to be perfect. No. You are perfect because of what Christ has done. And then the third thing that we see that he talks about is this idea of knowledge or or power. He ends by telling us this. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. You see, God breaks in and He says, I'm going to put down your idols so that you can know who I am and I will give you power then to live in that place with Me. So that you can what? Abide. See, the power and knowledge that we receive from God is not a power and knowledge that causes us to take on the world. The power and knowledge that we receive from God is not the power that causes us to make sure that everyone knows we're right. Because there's a danger in that. See, because when we start trying to make sure everybody knows that we're right, we have taken our eyes off of God. He's become, our rightness has become the idol. Not God himself. Because it's not up to us, those of us who are following Christ, to make sure everybody's right. It is up to us to abide with God. And in abiding with God, we love Him and we love those who are around us. And in doing that, we call forth goodness into the world so that those who don't know will know. And they can move from that sin. And then he says... Little children, keep yourself from idols. Do you see he set them up a little bit? You want this, I'm going to tell you, it's not an idol. You you want security, it's not an idol. You want your desires, it's not an idol. You want power, it's not an idol. It is only found in an abiding relationship with the pursuing, steadfast, loving God of the universe. Last week I was telling the story about how I attempted one time only to make cheesecakes. If you hadn't heard that story or the first part of it, you can go listen to it on our Facebook live feed or our podcast. But to summarize, somebody asked me to make some cheese. Well, they mentioned they wanted cheesecakes. I told them I could make cheesecakes. I had never made cheesecakes in my life. For the two and a half months leading up to making those cheesecakes, I never practiced making cheesecakes until the week before where I didn't even practice. I just made the eight cheesecakes that we needed. Kind of drove my wife crazy. No, it really drove my wife. Very, she was righteously angry at me. <laughs> but then I stopped it there. M- much like it seems that this letter stops. And I would like to say that that's providence or or God preparing or I had thought about it beforehand. That's not the case. I actually forgot to tell you the rest of the story because I was so busy thinking about other things. But in the providence of God or kismet or however you want to label it, circumstance, it really works well to help in this sermon. 
So, I bring the cheesecakes in. I lay them out. The wedding cake's there. I find out after it's over. Yet again, I wasn't invited to this wedding, so why I actually did this for them, I'm not sure. I didn't get anything out of it, except for this. Everybody loved my cheesecakes. <laughs> there was wedding cake left over because everyone preferred my cheesecakes. Now, instead of thinking that I was lucky to have accomplished this amazing feat to have the world's best cheesecakes at this wedding, I went, of course. <laughs> because if Lee Hinkle sets his mind to something, Lee Hinkle will accomplish it. And he just won't accomplish it he'll be one of, if not the best, at doing it. Just as an aside, if 99 people are in a room and 98 of them tell me that I am terrible and one says I'm okay, I hear that I'm great. Now, for years, I talked about that story as a place of great pride. See, I accomplished something, I overcame, I didn't have a clue, but somehow I have this knowledge built with inside. Do you see who the idol is here? Me. My ability to do things. What I didn't recognize is that oftentimes in living my life in a place that I thought, why wouldn't everybody trust me? Why wouldn't everybody hold me up? Why wouldn't you want to be my friend? I walked through life leaving damaged relationships behind me because if somebody didn't trust me, I became angry because there's no reason for them not to trust me. If I say it'll happen, it'll happen. You can bank on it. And if you don't think that's true, then you must not know me that well and you're undeserving of my attention. And then there were men and women who began to pray for me because I was in a sin that didn't lead to death. And those men and women began to speak in to my life. Because my desire was to be seen as amazing. Because I thought I was. My desire was not security because I felt pretty secure in myself. And the only knowledge that I really possessed was that I was great. But there were men and women who began to come around me in my life and they began to sit down and they began to say to me, why are you taking such pride in a story of you doing cheesecakes? You got lucky. It could have been awful. And think of what that would have done to the relationships. Think about what that would have done to their day. And for a long time, it was real easy for me to go, yeah, but that didn't happen. <laughs> but they continued to pray for me because I was in a sin that did not lead to death. 
They continued to come around me and say, you're broken. Can you see that you're broken? Because until you see that you're broken, you can't move. You've got an idol that you are worshiping and falling to all the time. And sadly, it's you. And they continued to pray and they continued to seek my heart until finally one day they set me down and they gave me this beautiful letter. And in it they said, you're, you're a good guy and you love your family and you can talk pretty well. But we see this about you. We see that you don't see other people as people but only as pawns to do the thing that you desire. We see that you're quick not to love, but quick to manipulate them in order to get them to a place where they're giving you glory and not God. And I took that letter and I went home and I cursed all of them out. And I woke up in the morning because they had been praying because I had a sin that didn't lead to death. And said, they love me. They wouldn't do that if they didn't love me. God places us together in a place like this because He knows our hearts are idol-making factories. And we need one another to walk along with us to remind us of God's great goodness and steadfast love so that we stop putting our hope and our trust for security and all that we desire and for all knowledge and power in things that will burn up and pass away, things that will inevitably let us down. Because together we are those who abide in God's love. John would say at the very end, it is impossible for you to abide in God's love in isolation. It doesn't happen. He puts you with others to show forth God's love. In that, it is perfected. And so my challenge for us, those of us who are here on a regular basis, is be intrusive with one another. Step into each other's lives. Walk boldly in your brokenness knowing that that brokenness needs to be revealed in order for God to move me to wholeness. And for those of you who have not come and joined us on a regular basis and you're trying to figure this out, let me tell you this. We are ragamuffins and 'er ne'er-do-wells. We are those who have never figured anything out in our lives. We are trapped, though, enamored by the mystery of God's steadfast love. And we invite you to walk with us in that as he brings you into wholeness as well. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good, and all you do is good. We thank you for the book of 1 John, this letter that was written to these people who were battling, who had idols themselves of secret knowledge. We thank you 
that you destroy our idols, but you do not destroy us, that you make us whole. Let us rest and abide with you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand up and let's sing in response.